0: Good morning, welcome to MRCC, did anyone enjoy the sunshine, yes, the last two days? Yeah, me too, and then uh, Washington was like, you thought you'd enjoy it, you have allergies, and I was like, yeah, so I was a chicken, and I just stayed inside all day yesterday, I know, I know, I know, hey, you know, one of the things that I get to do um, as a youth pastor here is I get to celebrate, encourage, and help our students pursue their gifts. Uh, And a couple weeks ago, uh, we got to do that. I was kind of forced to do it by my dad, Uh, but that's another story, Uh, but it's called Fine Arts. And uh, if you know what Fine Arts is, uh, you know what it is. If you don't know what Fine Arts is, the easiest way to explain it, it's the Christian version of America's Got Talent, but they don't compete if that makes sense, right? And so uh, one of the things uh, we got to, I got to take uh, Christian Olsen right here up to Everett and he played the piano like he is now and he qualified for fine arts nationals. Yeah, which is super, super amazing. So he didn't know that I was gonna do this in the first service, but I I obviously we've gone through that and I warned him. So, Christian, just show us show us something really quick. Go. Yeah. If you know what it is, you know. Okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. No, but uh if we could just celebrate him again, uh he it, it is a big deal. He scored an average of 36 out of 40 points uh because he is. He is very talented, but we try not to tell him as much because uh, it just goes to his head. No, we love him. We love him. And so it's really cool to, to celebrate that. Um, I do have a, a few quick announcements. Uh, tomorrow night is Band of Brothers here at 630. It is usually at the end of the month, but Pastor Dave scheduled his fishing charter trip for next week. So tomorrow is Band of Brothers at 630 p.m here for all the guys. Uh, and then coming up, can you believe that Easter is almost here? It, it felt like January was two weeks ago, uh, but that is not the case. Uh, Easter is almost here. Um, and leading up to Easter, we are having a Good Friday gathering. It's going to be at 6.30 p.m. here in the sanctuary. And then on Easter Sunday, it's our normal service times, 8, 9, 30, and 11. We're excited to celebrate that. If you want to open your Bible today to Luke chapter 6, that is where we are going to be.
1: Thanks, Pastor Tyler, and uh, thanks, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. I hope the parking lot wasn't too bad. We're working really hard to make the traffic work better during this construction season, so appreciate your patience. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6 this morning, beginning with verse 27. But before we open God's word together... I feel like I owe somebody in this room a big apology, and I think I need to make it publicly so they can feel that it comes from my heart. Yesterday, it was so glorious that uh, Ron and I headed out for our normal six-mile walk on the Enamclaw Trail, and the sun just got me all high on life. I was feeling like John Denver out there, you know, and so... (laughs) inspired by the moment I just took off my shirt and walked the Enumclaw trail without my shirt on now some people you, you yeah yeah try and get that out of your head and uh, you know some people glow in the dark I actually glow in the daylight that's how white I am and I thought to myself I'm not going to bump into anybody from the church and then we came around the corner and there was a couple from the church they're in therapy now they need our prayers They're going to try and put that out of their minds this morning. And uh, I'll try not to expose anybody else to that. Notice I chose the word expose. We'll just not uh, go there. Bye. Hope you enjoyed the sunshine. It was beautiful yesterday. Uh, great time. Um, just real quick, some of us were talking about going on a big motorcycle ride this afternoon with the rains closing in, so we're going to have to push that off a few Sundays. But, you know, if you're a motorcycler, we do start uh, doing that as the weather clears up on Sunday afternoon. It's just a great time to get together, ride around through the area, enjoy each other's company, and, and we're getting ready to do that. It's right around the corner. Hey, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6 this morning, but w- one other thing uh, just before we move into God's Word. Uh, and that is, uh, you know, we have something joyful to share this morning, but it comes it comes with a little bit of a bittersweet feeling. Um, many of you know Pastor Darius has been part of our church leadership team here for the last three years. And as part of that journey, one of the things that he has identified that we've uh, explored together is he has the sense of God's call on his life to plant a new church in the South Sound area, the Kent pialop area. And so in just a few weeks, he is going to shift into a year-long program in partnership with another church to plant a church in the South Sound and he's going to be leaving our staff team. We're going to miss him. We as a church are going to bless and be part of that church plant and, and you know, while on the one hand there's a sadness that goes with that church, <laughs> there's a great joy in God's heart to plant another church in our community to reach people that aren't being reached and that's Darius's heart. In a few weeks we're going to have a farewell. We'll share a lot more of those details uh, with you but um, express your heart to him. and move he and Brittany into prayer if you would in your lives if you haven't already for that future I, I, I'm excited when I go to the pastors meeting and, and senior pastor uh, Darius is sitting across the table from me that'll be cool I almost said senior pastor Tyler I don't think the world's ready for that yet so <laughs> we, we, we won't go there just yet but anyway you'll hear a lot more about that in the coming weeks but uh, neat stuff cool stuff Okay, uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. You will remember that we are on a year-long journey through Luke's Gospel. We've called it Road Trip with Jesus. Because the reality is we live in a time when there is a lot of deep fake. There are a lot of people using Jesus's name attaching him to a lot of causes to a lot of ideas it's always been the case but Jesus says we should watch out for that we should learn to discern the difference between the real him and and all the fake Jesus's that are out there and and so we're spending this year in Luke's gospel kind of like if you drove all the way to the east coast and back on a road trip with someone you would get to know them really well because of all the conversations that happen in the car over that time way more than just Occasionally dropping into their house or touching base on social media to road trip with the Lord is what we're doing this year. And so this morning we're in Luke's Gospel chapter six, beginning with verse 27, and let's let's continue that journey together. Let me say this: you've probably noticed this life is full of opportunities to make enemies. Somebody say amen to that. I mean, they're all around us, all when we don't seek them necessarily. But life is filled with opportunities to make enemies. And Ed Roll of Monument Colorado writes about that happening in his life he he had taken a job as a bus driver in the inner city of Detroit and he writes about kind of his anxiety about doing that he's a little guy he says I'm five foot two and maybe weigh a hundred pounds when I'm soaking wet and he says I was thinking about being the bus driver public transportation in the inner city all the situations that could arise and so he was nervous about taking the job but he did so the first few weeks were no problem. He didn't have any issues at all. But then he was placed on the swing shift. And on that first Monday night, he was in a seedy part of town, stopped at a at a bus stop on his route, and the gigantic guy, six foot ten, huge hands, monstrous shoulders, a mohawk haircut, wearing overalls, stepped on the bus. He said when he stepped on the bus, the bus actually tilted. That's how big this guy was. And And he came up the steps, and he looked right at me, and he said, Big John, don't pay bus fare. (laughs) And then he went to the back and sat down. Ed said, in that particular moment, I totally agreed with Big John. I had no arguments, (laughs) no issues with that at all. But, you know, he said, then the next Monday, it happened again. Close to midnight, Big John gets on. He says the same thing, Big John, don't pay bus fare, A few weeks this went on and Ed said, you know, I started feeling responsible. I have a job here. I'm supposed to, everybody else is paying, you know. And so he said, I spent the whole week mustering my courage. It came to the next Monday night. Sure enough, Big John got on the bus again and said the same thing. Ed writes how later on he found out that Big John was developmentally disabled. That's why he was doing the same thing over and over again. But on this particular moment, Ed said, when he said Big John doesn't pay, Ed said, well, why shouldn't Big John pay? He's the same as everybody else. He said, Big John stopped, looked like a deer in the headlights, started fumbling in his overalls. And he said, because Big John has a bus pass. (laughs) He's trying to get it out and show it to him. (laughs) Ed writes, that the two of them became best friends after that. They developed a relationship that extended far outside of the bus. And he talked about how easily we make enemies and how hard it is sometimes to make friends. And the reason I bring that up this morning is because here's the truth. Our God, our Father, is seeking to turn all his enemies into friends. All of them. His heart, his desire is to see those relationships transform. Now, here's the reality. He won't succeed with most. Most will reject his offer. But he is nevertheless utterly committed to doing everything he can to turn his enemies into friends. And he invites us to be part of that. In fact, despite the fact that no one is more offended and upset by what is happening in our world than God is. The Bible says that he is forbearing, uh, delaying his judgment so that he can turn as many enemies as are willing into his friends. Here's the way Peter puts it in 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise of judgment as some understand slowness. No, he is patient, catch this, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, he wants everyone to become his friends. To repent means to change your mind, to change direction. That's certainly a part of it. But that's his desire for everybody you and I will ever meet in our lives. God wants to say them. A few weeks ago, we heard Jesus say, Hey, gang, remember, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this morning, he wants to talk to us about how we become part of that. And it has to do with this business of loving our enemies, not just our friends, but our enemies. I remember when I worked in the emergency room, you know, there was no shortage of people, especially on a payday Friday or really any Friday or Saturday night. There was no shortage of people that would come into that ER drunk, angry, ornery, high, bitter, difficult, but we, as the ER staff, understood that that was the baseline, and our attitude was to be as accommodating, as peacemaking, as solicitous as possible so that we could experience the deep satisfaction of being healers. We thought of ourselves as different from everybody else in the ER on Friday night. Because what so many were unwilling to put up with, we were willing to put up with in order that we could be healers. And in the same way, Jesus calls you and me to see our enemies very differently for the sake of his mission, for the sake of the Father's heart for their sake. So so let's listen to Jesus talk about this. Remember we said this is the the Sermon on the Plain. Matthew calls it the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus was constantly teaching this core curriculum, if you will, wherever he went. As he traveled around Israel, he was constantly coming back to these ideas. They were the centerpiece of his message. And here in Luke's Gospel, we're walking through that part of his ministry. Verse 27, Jesus is speaking. He says this to you and me. He says, I tell you who hear me. Now, That's not a throwaway phrase. The crowd that had gathered was choosing to hear Jesus. They they had come deliberately to hear him, just like we have this morning. Hey, Lord, I want to hear from you. Jesus says, okay, I know you do, so I'm talking specifically to you right now. I'm not talking to the rest of the crowd as much as I'm talking to my own. I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, don't stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, friends, that is a tall order. I live in the real world. Anybody else live in the real world? That is tough stuff. And it's so direct and so blunt that it is also often misunderstood. So what we want to talk about this morning is the very radical thing Jesus is calling us to but also discern it from kind of the, some of the crazy ideas that we sometimes think he's calling us to in this moment. So let's first of all talk about what this doesn't mean. And church, let's understand, it doesn't mean that police officers shouldn't shoot bad guys. It doesn't mean that you should let people rob you in the street. It doesn't mean that war is always wrong or that defending your family is somehow a, a failure of faith. No, it doesn't mean those things. And we know that because of the whole council of Scripture we're going to see in a moment. We also know that because Jesus uses something called hyperbole or figures of speech sometimes. That is, he states things dramatically in order to capture our attention in order to stir us up and to help us hear what he's saying we all have a tendency to do that and Jesus is one of us and he speaks in those terms for example there's a moment when Jesus is with the disciples Luke tells us later in the gospel when he says to them beware the yeast of the Pharisees the scripture says they heard that and they got together in the boat and they said oh my goodness he's upset that we didn't bring bread Jesus said, "No, no, no, you guys, I'm, using the, I'm talking about the teaching of the Pharisees." And there's other occasions like that. Jesus is going to say quite dramatically in Matthew's gospel, "If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off." He, he doesn't mean for us to engage in actual self-mutilation. What he's saying is, hey, gang, this stuff is serious. Take dramatic, radical action to address these things. Get serious about it. Don't just blow it off. This is big deal stuff. He's using figures of speech. And he's doing that here in the Sermon on the Plain, the Sermon on the Mount as well. Does he intend for us to love our enemies and bless those who mistreat us? Absolutely. But somehow, sometimes we get confused and take that to a level which is simply unlivable. You know, just to give you an example of using figures of speech, I remember when we were camping, uh, our family in northern Idaho years ago, we had a great spot we would go to. Isaiah was about 10. He always took a buddy with him because he was an only child. One evening, I'm sitting there reading Rhonda's preparing dinner at the campfire. And I look up and I notice that Isaiah and his buddy have a big bucket of mud and they're sneaking up behind mom. And she was far enough away still that she couldn't hear me. And so I just said to Isaiah, you know, you're going to die if you do that. (laughs) It's not going to be pretty. Now, did I mean that he was going to lose his life? No. Mostly I meant that, you know. Uh, (laughs) But he understood because of my figure of speech. And actually, it was kind of funny to watch the two of them talk themselves out of that at that moment, but... Jesus is doing something like that here. What, what he's saying is absolutely real, but he's using a figure of speech. A matter of fact, we don't have time to get into this this morning, but if you research the background of turn the other cheek, if you research the background of when someone uh, asked to lend from you, you'll find out that there were real world connections dealing with courts of law, dealing with peacemaking, and, and it's not simply a literalistic idea, but very much so, Jesus is calling us to love practically, intentionally, directly, the people that we might consider our enemies are the people that might consider themselves our enemies. You know, every time I talk about this, somebody always says to me later during the week, sometimes on Sunday, well, Pastor Craig, I don't really have any enemies. Stop it. <laughs> yes, you do. You've got people you're mad at. you got people that are mad at you. Don't, you know, super spiritualize this. This is, this is real stuff. That neighbor that irritates you, that person at work or school or person on social media, we've all got them. Jesus says, hey, I want you to love them. I want you to bless them. I want you to seek their blessing. Why? Because Jesus knows, church, please hear him now, that supernatural patience, unnatural grace, has real-world power. Let me say that again. Supernatural grace, real-world patience, has supernatural spiritual power. We look at our world and we say, What's the solution? And sometimes we think, well, if the good guys could just nuke the bad guys, we're good to go. Jesus says, No, it goes deeper than that. It goes much deeper than that. Proverbs, for example, tells us in chapter 15, verse 1 that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so God calls us to think about what we say especially when we're talking to our enemies. Some of us think that what we say, it's, it's fair game when it comes to our enemies. We can mock them, we can joke at them, we can disrespect them, we can insult them. Jesus says, no, not you, not my followers. In fact, I remember as a young believer, one of the first things that captured me as a young man when I read the Bible was Jesus said, if you even say to your brother, you fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Wow, that rocked my world do you mean what i say matters that much yes god says it does and because of that jesus says we want to have a, a certain disposition a certain attitude towards our enemies in the sermon on the mount over in matthew chapter 5 verse 9 the lord puts it this way blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of god In other words, when we set our hearts to seek peace, to make peace wherever and whenever we can, when we seek to turn our enemies into friends, that's the moment when God says, oh yeah, that's my daughter. Oh yeah, that's my son. That's the moment at which he chooses to bestow that title. Let me ask you, how much do you want that title? The Father says, I'll give it to you. If you make yourself a peace Maker. I remember when I was six years old and didn't have a, a dad, and my mom remarried, and this man moved into our lives and he adopted us and we took his name and and then he began to call me son. I remember how thrilling that was. I have a dad now. In the same way, God says, I call you my son, my daughter. When you make of yourself a peacemaker, when you enter into that intentionally. The the Apostle Paul over in Romans 12 kind of practically synthesizes this idea of loving our enemies. When he writes this, verses 17 to 21 of Romans 12, he says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, that's real world. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What's he acknowledging? Sometimes no matter how hard you try, you just can't get there. Try anyway. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge. Don't get even. Boy, the temptation to do that is with us all the time. Don't take revenge, my friends. Catch this. But leave room for God's wrath. More on that in just a moment. If your enemy is hungry, feed him practical stuff. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, we hear that thing about heaping burning coals on their head, and we think, yay, you mean I get to be passive-aggressive? God's okay with that? No, actually, he's not, okay? Culturally, in the Old Testament... Uh, when someone wanted to publicly apologize, one of the ones say, I was wrong, I made a mistake, I- I'm telling everybody that I was wrong, they would go to the center of town with a little bowl of coals on their head. Don't ask me where that came from, but that was the tradition as a way of publicly saying, hey, I've been filled with anger, and I was wrong about it, and now I'm going to dump this bowl of hot coals in the center of town as a way of saying, no more, no more hate between us, no more uh, you know, conflict between us, I'm making peace. And so to carry burning coals on your head was a sign of repentance that you were apologizing. And what Paul is saying is when you and I exercise unnatural grace, when we bless our enemies, we inspire them to change their hearts. We inspire them to reconcile with us and to make peace. So it's not passive-aggressive, but it is real-world powerful. Think of the people who were angry with you, who you were angry with. What would happen if you proactively bless them, I could tell you stories, I'm not going to this morning, but I've seen this again and again in my life. It is incredibly powerful. When we act unnaturally towards our enemies. Now, notice what Paul says in that passage. He says, don't take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. In other words, understand that the revenge you seek, you're not very good at. You won't be able to pull it off well, effectively, or completely. Let God do it. Because he can and he will. More on that in a moment. But then he also says, practically, bless your enemy, give them drink if they're lacking, pray for them deliberately. Why? Because you can inspire that kind of repentance. You see, church, here's what we want to know. Here's what Jesus wants us to know. There is real world power in being different. In doing things differently than the world around us. And Jesus is inviting us into his mission of doing that. You say, well, that's not how I feel. I know that's not how we feel. But when we choose to live above our feelings, there's real world power in it. There's a wonderful story in 1 Kings chapter 24 about King David and King Saul. Let me lay the background for you. King David is supposed to be the next king, and Saul is incredibly insecure and jealous about that. And Saul's jealousy and insecurity grows to the point where he declares war on David. And he and his army are pursuing David and his little band throughout the countryside. He wants to catch him. He wants to kill him. He thinks that's the solution to all his problems. It isn't because his problems are on the inside, but that's what he thinks. And so as he pursues David relentlessly, eventually he gets him trapped in a cave. Saul doesn't know Dave's in the cave, but he's way in the back with a few of his guys. And Saul's army is camped right outside. Saul comes into the cave and lays down to sleep. The king gets the shelter. It's good to be the king, right? And in the middle of the night, the Bible says that David and one of his guys crept right up next to Saul. And they had him in their grasp. This is the moment every Hollywood revenge fantasy looks forward to. But in that moment, David does something unnatural, completely against the grain, totally unexpected. He just cuts a tiny piece of the corner of Saul's robe off, and he doesn't kill him. He doesn't strike him down, even though those with him were saying, here's your chance. God's given him into your hands. Kill him. You will be the king. This whole story will be over. David doesn't. He just cuts off that corner of his cloth. The Bible says that the next morning, Saul got up, headed out, was getting ready to leave with his army. David is in a safe place on the mountainside outside the cave. And the scripture says he did this. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul and said, My lord, the king, got his attention. When Saul looked, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground to his enemy. And he said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? In other words, I don't want to be your enemy. I want there to be peace between us. Why do you listen when men say that David is bent on harming you? This day you see with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I chose not to. I spared you. I want peace with you. I want to make you my friend. I want to change our relationship. Now the Bible says that when David finished saying this, Saul wept aloud. Saul was changed. Instead of his enemy striking him down, he found his enemy showing him mercy. And Saul was changed. He wept aloud. He said, you're more righteous than I. You've treated me well when I treated you badly. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? That's a rhetorical way of saying, I see that you're not my enemy. I see that our relationship can be different. May the Lord reward you for the way you have treated me today. See, Saul is transforming church. You and I, Jesus wants you and me to know that when we behave in these kinds of unnatural, supernatural ways, it has real world power. Not always, but often. And Jesus is inviting him to uh, inviting us to join him in what he's doing. What does he come into the world to do? To say, you know what? Nobody's more offended by what's happening in the world than my Father. I'm here to crush all the bad guys. No. He says, I'm here to save anyone who's willing to receive me as their friend, who's willing to turn from their wickedness to me and receive my grace. He comes to seek and to save. And he invites us in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities, in our families to do the same thing. And and understand that this seeking to make enemies, friends, this is an emotional thing for God. You ever get emotional? I don't very often, but can I confess to you in a totally nerdy way that there's one movie that always makes me get misty-eyed? Okay, you're going to think less of me, so prepare yourself. But I like 20 times, I've watched the movie The Martian, right, with Matt Damon, and when they get to the end of it and they save him at the end, every time I sit there and get all misty-eyed. Oh, I mean, it's Matt Damon. Do we really want to save him? But but we do, right? At the end, and and I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. And every time, God. God says to me every time he says to me Greg that's what I want to do I want to save people who are lost I want to rescue them I want to redeem them and I'm inviting you to be a part of that you know the emotional part of it is all those other people get to be part of his rescue and, and Jesus in this moment is inviting you and me to be part of other people's rescue how by loving our enemies Seriously, in May of 1993, Mary Johnson's son, her teenage son, was shot and killed by another team major named O'Shea at a party in Minneapolis. Mary, however, is a Jesus follower, and so after she grieved the loss of her son, as she grieved the loss of her son, she also patiently waited 15 years in prayer Until O'Shea had finished his sentence and was released from prison. When he was released, she was at the gate waiting for him. And when he came out, she said, you have taken my son from me. Now I am adopting you to replace him. And today, O'Shea lives right next door to Mary, and the two of them together lead a ministry called From Death to Life that is devoted to stopping gang violence by teaching the power of grace and forgiveness. Church, that's real. You say, oh, this stuff, I live in the real world. Well, try Mary's world. It's very real. Try Jesus' world. He who prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The Lord invites us to join him in that mission, church. He invites you. So the real question is whether we will choose to make Jesus heard by the supernatural way we treat our enemies or not. You know, the Lord goes on on this theme. Look at verses 32 and following. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Sometimes we say, keep my own circle close. It's all about the loyalty of my few friends and we look out for each other. Jesus says, big whoop, that's nothing. I mean, that's not hard. Anybody can do that. He says, even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who are good to you, (laughs) what credit is that to you? If they're good to me, I'll be good to them. Jesus says, whatever. That doesn't even require any effort. He says, even sinners do that. But I tell you, who hear me, my disciples he says love your enemies then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high there's that idea again because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked be merciful therefore just as your father is merciful be what credit is that to you if you're only good to those who are good to you even a cat will be nice to you if you're nice to it I've learned this over the years A cat is an essentially evil creature, but even a cat will be nice to you if if you pet it. I'm kidding, you know that, all right. But you get the idea. You know, every time we're nice to those who are nice to us, Jesus goes, okay, whatever. (laughs) That's just baseline. Do you want to follow me? Do you want to join me? Do you want your father to call you my daughter, my son, then be the peacemaker. You see, when when we behave like him, we help other people see him. And and that's what we're called to do now. It won't always work. And and so let me make a little caveat here in these last 10 minutes that we have. Um, When it doesn't work, church, that's when God's judgment takes over, not ours. See, here's the thing we got to understand. His judgment is coming, and it is the most sure and severe judgment you can possibly imagine. Nobody talked more about eternal hell than Jesus did. And both in his teaching in the Sermon on the Plain and in Paul's teaching in Romans 12 and throughout Scripture, whenever we talk about loving our enemies, God says, leave the justice, the judgment, to me. You see, church, it's our confidence in his judgment that sets us free to love those who are our enemies. When we know that nobody gets away with anything, then that creates in us an awareness of the precarious condition of the dangerous situation our enemies are in. They're facing eternal hell. And if you and I have no qualms in just saying, well, that's their problem, well, then that says as much about us as it does about them. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus comes to save every last one that's willing to receive him. And he calls us to do the same thing don't take revenge my friends but leave room for God's wrath it is written it is mine to avenge I will repay Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 reminds us it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God and we're going to see Jesus say later in Luke that most will he's going to say wide is the road and broad is the path that leads to destruction and many travel it but narrow the road and small is the path that leads to life and only a few find it If you find the path that leads to life and you're able to say, I don't care about all those who are on the path to destruction, well, that tells me something about me. That tells you something about you. Jesus in that situation says, I want to save them. I want to rescue them. I want to redeem them. Church, we've got to understand that God's eternal judgment is very real. Here's the thing. Many people don't love their enemies because they don't really believe in God's judgment. They don't really believe in it. Yeah, well, God's just a big grandpa. Everybody goes home to the father's house someday and everything's forgiven, cookies and ice cream all around. It's not what Jesus says. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what God's gonna do. And when we are sobered by that, our enemies look different. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, these words, he says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men and we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We don't just say they're the bad guys. We say, oh my goodness, those bad guys are facing God's judgment. Nope, rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And here comes in the loving your enemies, in great endurance, in hardships and distress, in beatings and imprisonment, the passage goes on to talk about what we are willing to struggle and suffer with because we know the danger they're in. Again, it reminds me of when I was in the ER. Sometimes you'd have some somebody drunk who had done awful things to themselves and injured their body tremendously, and they're belligerent and they're fighting back. And the whole time, you're feeling sorry for them. Because they don't even recognize what they've done to themselves and many times don't even recognize what danger they've placed themselves or others in. Charlie Peace was a criminal on his way to be executed by public hanging in England in 1832 when he overheard on his way to the gallows a preacher reading from the the scriptures of Jesus warning about hell. And he suddenly stopped and said something that so convicted the crowd that we remember it to this day. He said, preacher, I don't believe any of that stuff. But if I did, I would crawl on broken glass from here to the ocean to save one person from hell. Yeah, that's how Jesus feels. And so when he says to you and me, love your enemies, he's not just laying down rules. He's not saying, you know what, here's here's the way it is. He's saying, I want you to join me in this. I want you to walk with me in this mission. I want you to share this agenda with me. Let me say it again. The reason many people struggle to love their enemies is they don't really believe in God's judgment. But when you do, they look differently. And then the Lord goes on to wrap it up, and we wrap up this morning. He says, don't judge, you won't be judged. Don't condemn, you won't be condemned. Forgiven, you'll be forgiven. Don't look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. This is a continuation of the same thought. He's saying, understand that every one of your enemies has a story. Every one of them. Just like you do. And your story and mine is filled with hurts and struggles fears and disappointments, theirs is too. So he says, don't just assume that they don't carry the same struggle in their hearts that you do. You know, I've shared this before. I'll share it briefly. When I was a young man getting ready to go into the ministry that summer, went to a family reunion down in Portland. People came from all over the country who were family, but I had never heard of them or seen them. Great uncle, nephew, so-and-so from Minnesota, whatever. And there's all these people together. And in the middle of it, and old man in his 90s with a walker came up to me and he said young man I understand that you're going into the ministry I said, yes sir I am he said well I pastored God's people for 63 years would you take a walk with me I said you bet you I will absolutely I'll take a walk with you it was a slow walk around the block because he had a walker but he said I'm only going to give you two pieces of advice he said the first thing is the longer I've walked with Jesus the fewer things I'm sure of But the things I am sure of, I'm more sure than ever. Wow, that's good. And then he said this. He said, young man, you cannot possibly ever overestimate the amount of pain in a congregation when you look out and see them. He said, everybody's got a story. And you know, 35 years into this, I'm passing that same piece of advice on. Everybody's got a story. And church, when we know that everybody's got a story, We're able to love our enemies. They look different because of what they've dealt with, because of what they are dealing with, because of what they're struggling through. And Jesus invites us to recognize that. So he says, love your enemies, bless them. They're struggling just like you are. And then he says, and here's where we wrap up. He says, I know I've said that like three times, right? But here's where we wrap up. He says, I don't want you to just play defense. I want you to play offense. I don't want you to just say, well, I'm not going to bother them, so they won't bother me. He says, no, I want you to seek your enemies. I want you to bless them practically. I want you to seek to be a peacemaker. In as much as it depends on you, sometimes it's not going to, sometimes you're not going to be able to. But join me in trying to. There's nobody Jesus isn't trying to save. And he says, I, I want you to join with me. And I remember when I was first getting serious about soccer and, and I was the sweeper. If you don't know anything about soccer, it's the last guy back in front of the, the keeper. Don't call it the goalie. That just shows you're ignorant about soccer. It's the keeper back there and I was the sweeper in front and, and so I was the captain of the defense and I thought my job is to make sure the other team doesn't score and I was relentless about it and so relentless that when the, we would move forward to get the ball out of our half onto their half and we'd go into attacking mode, I'd just stop at the center line. I said, you know, my guys on either side can go forward but I've got to stay right here because I'm a defense our coach old Scottish guy he was wonderful pulled me aside and he says Greg you gotta understand sometimes you can run forward sometimes there's opportunities sometimes you can even score but no I'm the defensive captain I'm the sweeper he says no no, no. we're a team and he said this if you succeed at being the sweeper the best we can do is a tie <laughs> if we never score we can't win so he said I need you to play offense as well as defense and in the same way God says to us I don't want you to just play defense. I don't want you to just avoid controversy. I want you to love your enemy. I want you to bless them. I want you to seek them. Pray for them. Do what you can in order to help them know that God wants them to be friends. So again, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will, he burning, on you will, like David did to Saul, inspire him to change his ways. And that's what we do. A couple of practical ways to do that. Number one, pray for them by name. Jesus said, pray for those who mistreat you. I invite you to do that. In just a moment, we're going to bow our heads. God's going to put a face, a name in front of you. Pray for them. Make it a habit. Second, bless them practically. Yeah, give them stuff. Mow their lawn, whatever. You're in the situation. You know what'll work. Bless those who curse you. Trust God's judgment. Leave room for God's wrath. You and I aren't nearly as good at it justice and judgment as he is but we can trust him and that should humble and sober us about what they're facing and then finally the last thing give so that you will get uh, Jesus finishes that passage by saying with the measure you use it will be measured to you I remember as a young believer and slowly coming to realize how much I need God's grace how much I need God's forgiveness and then being blown away by the idea that if I want it all I gotta do is give it And if I use a big bucket to give it, then God uses a big bucket on me. And I remember laughing out loud, thinking, I'm in this game with God. I'll make my grace bigger. God says, I'll make mine bigger. No, I'll be more merciful. God says, I'll be more merciful to you. And that is a beautiful way to live. He agrees. It's a beautiful way to live. The Lord is inviting us to experience that. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, all of us have enemies, whether we want them or not. We have enemies, and you call us to join you in seeking them, to join you in praying for them, in blessing them and reaching out to them, remembering that your judgment is real, remembering how little we know of their story. God, some of us have some big Johns in our life, and if we got to know them, we'd become best friends. So, Lord, give us the courage to be like David, to seek to reconcile with our enemies to do that as much as we can for your glory we ask that this morning in jesus name amen amen would you stand with me church yeah Uh, i got that on time the traffic guys will bless me today now may the love of god the father the grace of the lord jesus christ and the fellowship of his holy spirit go with you throughout this week go with god tell someone you love him have a great afternoon